clock is proclaiming that it's creature o'clock so ring that buzzer it sounds like a lion roar <laughs> and open the door to join us for the 18th meeting of the animal fan club i'm arctic sea croissant meredith and i'm panda panderer mike and we meet every week at our clubhouse we like to call the dalmatian station <laughs> to talk about our favorite animals while we lack an expertise, we make up for an unbridled enthusiasm and unchildlike wonder. Wow. So saddle up that miniature horse and hold on tight for the furriest, fin-filled, and feathered podcast in all of the kingdom and a male y'all. Wait, so unchildlike wonder, does that mean like it's going to get gross on this episode? Hell yeah. Not safe for children? No, NSFC. Perfect. Are we... Explicit when we're listed on the um. Oh, totally. We swear. We made this decision very early oh, on. I totally forgot. <laughs> where we didn't want to censor ourselves. So. Hell no! I could not be tamed. And those first couple episodes, you would just be like, "Well, fuck shit, shit, fuck shit, fuck, fuck <laughs> shit, fuck," and then fucking shit. And then I would be like, you know, giving you full angel. And then remember, our moms were like, "Meredith swears more than Mike does," and it's weird. But then we just kind of stopped thinking about it. Yeah. And now we just swear whenever. Yeah. Um, equally. Only at the appropriate moment. Affirmative. Not gratuitous. Fuck no. Hell fucking no shit. Well, Mike, how's your week in animals? My week in animals was great. I went to go see this show in Brooklyn, in Bushwick, with Company XIV. Have you heard of them? No. What is that? It's sort of at the intersection of circus and ballet and burlesque and nightclub Sort of drinking, enabling, immersive theatrical experience. (laughs) Emphasis on drinking, enabling. Wait, are they the ones that did the, it was like a um, Nutcracker? They did a Nutcracker Rouge, which I saw in the fall. My good friend, Sean Haggerty, is the sound designer there. Friend of the pod, listener, contributor of recommendations for plugins. Sean Haggerty. (laughs) And I have to say that the show's great. The experience is really wonderful. I think everybody should check it out. I was completely blown away. It had some of the gentlest, most gorgeous moments with like one light and two dancers. Oh, I love that. It was some really, really wonderful stuff. It is definitely an explicit moment. I don't know that there's any actual nudity, but there's certainly a lot of implied nudity. Sure. And a lot of very scantily clad, very wildly fit athletic performances just gorgeous aerialists and gorgeous ballet moments and I strongly recommend it but the reason why I bring it up at all is because there was a peacock moment in the show where there was like peacock costumes and peacock feather fan moments Mm. and so I was just thinking about our Fezziana friends and our other large ground living birds and how they're being represented in this show and how maybe that is nice I love that. My favorite moment in the version of the Nutcracker that I grew up watching, which was the Pacific Northwest Ballet. I think it's still a classic Nutcracker because it was like filmed and um, distributed. You can still like buy it on YouTube and stuff. But um, Maury Sindak designed all the sets. So it was very like whimsical, kind of like weird and wild, like where the wild things are kind of feeling to it. Fun. I could watch this any day of my life. I watched it many days of my life as a youngster. But where they normally have like the Arabian dance 
like the coffee dance. Sure. The touch of exoticism that all 19th century ballets had to have. Right. Um, and operas and multiple things. They actually perform it as a bird. They bring her out in a cage and she's got, it's like peacock adjacent costuming. I love that. And she dances the whole thing like kicking out her um, long, glorious like tail feathers and they have like bird noises like superimposed in the background. So it's like the normal like coffee thing, like the da 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 like that stuff. When it's like, ah, oh, ah, happening in the background. And it's awesome. That it's a visual great. that has been burned into my amygdala since I was probably like five or six. I love that. It's like the gold standard of Nutcrackers. I fucking love it. Check it out. I recommend it to everybody. It's one of the keystones of my existence. Yeah, like keystone species. Of yeah. Existence. It is the keystone species. That bird dance was everything. Well, that's really fun. Yeah. Check it out, everybody. So I actually, another friend of the podcast, I think, our friend Zach, our mutual friend. Yeah, Zach's definitely a friend of the pod. Yeah. Zach is another one that gave me recommendations early on about audio stuff. He was just like, hey, I think you should maybe try this. And he wasn't wrong, but it was funny because I was I was like, well, that you're right. I literally had just had a conversation with this other guy, Lloyd, who's another friend of the podcast. Love it. Yeah, so many friends. So many friends. I love it. And Lloyd had kind of tweaked up the things. And he had literally done what Zach had recommended. And I was like, that you should just listen to the next episode. And he didn't. He was like, yeah, it's, it's you know, wonderful. So Great. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So Zach sent me this meme from, it was like a meme on one account, but it was from another account. Um, called Animals and Synthesizers. And this has changed my life. Are you familiar with this? No, but it sounds like something I should be familiar with. Oh, my gosh. It's like there was a whole pangolin thing. Um, I think I sent it, but you might not have seen it. So check your check your DMs. Oh, yeah, I'll check them. It's essentially this guy that takes animal footage. So say like a millipede walking along or like some fish kind of like bounced along the ocean floor and will put these like synth tracks against it and they're fantastic and he's very um diverse in terms of the animals he represents biodiversity yeah there's like one with like a fat dog and then there's like another one with like an insect there's a great praying mantis one it's fantastic i'm upset like there was no one night i couldn't sleep and i just stayed up for like an hour watching all these animal synth videos it was incredible yeah, that sounds great. I yeah. think that everyone's having a lot of sleepless nights lately. So animal synth videos are definitely a good yeah. way to spend that time. Totally. So the account is Animals and Synthesizers. Check it out. It's great. Groovy. I'll even see if I can figure out how to like repost things from them. Because if there's one side I want to promote, it's that one. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I guess do you want to just maybe jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. Ready? Okay. Texana you. Texana we. Texana who? Texana we. Kingdom. Animalia. Not a plant or a fungus. Phylum. Chordata. Privilege comes with the spine. Class. Amphibia. Ectothermic tetrapods. Order. Anura. Frogs are friends, not food. Family. Buffonidae. The true toads. Genus. Buffo. It's a waste taxon. Species. Buffo. Bufo, bufo, bufo. The common toad is also called the European toad. <laughs> bufo profundo. Yeah, Bufonidae is the family. The genus is Bufo, and the species is Bufo. Do they like op- comedic opera? Hi. 
It's not a beso profundo. It's a buffo buffo. And not an opera buffa. Not a, an opera buffa. But a buffo buffo. Buffo buffo. <laughs> yeah. So don't, no, don't get it twisted. Sorry. I had to get that straight. No, it's okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> so we have our family, the Buffonidae. They're the true toads. They have a common stocky figure with short legs. They're mm-hmm. relatively poor jumpers. They have dry skin. It's thick and warty, so-called warty. It's not actual warts, but it looks like warts. Bumpy. Mm-hmm. Buffonidae is the only family of anurans in which all members are toads. Mm-hmm. We have 35 genera. These are widespread, native to all continents except Australia and Antarctica. Okay, makes sense. We have toothless, no teeth. <laughs> they have a pair of paratoid glands on the back of their head. It secretes an alkaloid poison when the toad is stressed with varying levels of toxicity between species. There's Mm. psychoactive toads like the Colorado River toad, which can be used recreationally. Some male toads possess a bitters organ, B-I-D-D-E-R, apostrophe F. I thought you squeezed them out into your old-fashioned. No. These, though, can become an active ovary, so the men can turn into ladies (gasps) because life, uh... Finds a way. <laughs> sure does. And then we have now our genus, Bufo, the waste basket genus. It's a large number of toads from around the world. We're now kind of going through this sort of toad period where they're refining the genus situation because it's just too broad of a category. And oh. sp- species that maybe should be divided further. That's currently yeah. what's happening in toad land. That's an interesting question as to like how many subspecies do you have to have before you essentially need to create a new genus? Yeah, it's right? definitely very it's that's totally interesting. But it's it's uh it just becomes a thing of like they need a place to put it. Right. And this is where they put it. And then I guess once you get enough of them, then you can start to kind of parse the information, you know. Cool. So now we have the common toad, the bufo bufo, bufonidae bufo bufo. We could just call it the bufo bufo. That's the binomial nomenclature. Yeah. It's like buffalo buffalo. Or no, the bison bison. Bison bison. Excuse me. With the subspecies bison bison bison. Right. So after the common frog, the edible frog, and the smooth newt, the common toad is the fourth most common amphibian in Europe. The smooth newt. Number three, bronze medalist, smooth newt. I don't know what kind of bar or club should be called the Smooth Newt, but I want to name a bar or club the Smooth Newt. It's definitely a very particular type of like electro fusion <laughs> where it's never anything other than major chords. It's just all major chords. You know what? Time and place. We need that. Its habitat is much of the habitable range of Europe, where you think a toad might live. (laughs) It extends south into northwestern Africa, and a close relative variant lives in eastern Asia and Japan. Hmm. It's into forests, whether they're coniferous, deciduous, or maybe a mixed locale. It also loves a countryside, a field, a park, a garden. It prefers wet areas, but Mm -hmm. has been found far from standing water. Interesting. So their main thing is to walk slowly, except sometimes they like short shuffling jumps using all four legs. (laughs) It mostly comes out at dusk mostly and is mainly active in wet weather and then will return home before morning. What are their homes like? You know, they're little burrows. They're cute little frog burrows. Okay. They're cute little toad burrows. (laughs) 
They like eating wood lice, beetles, slugs, caterpillars, flies, earthworms, even small mice. If the prey's fast, they'll do a bat with their tongue to grab it with their tongue. Nice. Or they will use their jaws for larger items. Again, no teeth. It swallows whole food using a series of gulps. (laughs) It's not discerning at all. It will grab any small, dark-colored moving object encountered. (gasps) They did this really cute little experiment where they took a little black piece of paper and they like waved it in front of the toad and then the toad was like, blap. But then if they took a big piece of black paper that was obviously not prey and moved it, then the toad would not blap. <laughs> blap, blap. It was discerning regarding the size. Oh, cool. It's like, this looks like the size of prey. Interesting. I wonder how their eyesight is. I'm sure it's toadtastic. Yeah. When attacked, it will adopt a characteristic stance. It'll stand on its hindquarters and lower its head. It kind of gets up on all fours and looks pretty tough. Here's a photo, Meredith, of the toad in attack mode. Oh, my gosh. It's like what I'm seeing is a toad that looks like he's going into like full like cat cow pose. Yeah. Into the cat pose. Like his back looks almost arched, but he's also seems to be stretching at the length of his limb. Yeah. That's about right. A toad on his tippy toes. A tippy-toed toad. <laughs> I tippy toads. Do you remember its paratoid glands? That we yes, talked? I well, do. It, re- it secretes a toxin called bufagin. Bufo-agin. <laughs> bufagin. It deters most predators. It's still eaten by grass snakes, who apparently don't seem to care about this. It doesn't hurt them. Hedgehogs, rats, minks, even domestic cats. I bet. There's a parasitic fly... The Lucilla bufonivora that attacks common toads. It lays its egg on the toad's skin. And then when they hatch, the larvae crawl inside the toad nostrils and eat the skin of the toad from the inside out. And oh. then it dies. I know, oh, that's crazy. awful. Oh. There's uh, the European fingernail clam. It's an... Un- <laughs> Noted yeah. for a future episode. Yeah, the European fingernail clam. Sferium corneum, it's unusual that it climbs up water plants and has this muscular foot that kind of helps it move around. And occasionally it will cling to the toe of a common toad and then it can be shuttled about to new locales, which it's believed that's part of how the European fingernail clam has spread. Oh my gosh, how crazy. In 2007, there was a group of researchers in Loch Ness... Scotland using a remote operated underwater vehicle. I bet (laughs) they were looking for another creature. (laughs) I bet they were. But they observed a common toad moving along the bottom of the lake. Mm -hmm. It's like 300 feet deep. Mm -hmm. So they were surprised to note that an air breathing animal could survive in such a location. Interesting. So they've either got big old lungs or they can swim to the surface super fast. Yeah, I mean, who's to say? Well, these researchers <laughs> get on that, guys and gals. So we have a couple different periods in the toad's life. So they hibernate. There's the winter sleep. They'll winter in various holes in the ground, sometimes basements, often in droves. Droves of amphibians will just go find somewhere to sleep for the winter. Aww. When they wake up, they generally return to where they were spawned. The guys get there first and hang out. And then the ladies show up after several weeks, fashionably late, (laughs) only long enough to mate and spawn. And then they leave because they're like, this place is terrible. These guys are annoying. (laughs) The dudes will croak, which 
communicates how big they are and hence <gasps> their prowess. And then they will fight over ladies. Okay. You might not know the answers to these questions, but again, just opening up paths of inquiry. Do we have a sense of how a particular sound created correlates with size? So if it's a, like a, if it's, is it based on duration? Is it based on pitch? Is it based on like some sound wave form that I'm not considering? Like a bigger guys do square waves and little guys do triangle waves. Or something that like we can't even conceive of as humans with our ears. I think it's generally a pitch and loudness, but that would be my guess as like a musician is that the larger, the lower, and more power. Sure. In terms of frog resonance, but I don't know for sure. Oh yeah, resonance would make sense. Yeah. For sure. Quality of tone. (laughs) Timber. (laughs) Timber! Okay. I love timbre. I also love timbre. And Plexus pose is back. Some say it never went away. Some say it's here to stay. But I'm here to tell you, and Plexus pose is back. That's when the lady frog is on the bottom and the male frog, or Anura, this is frogs and toads, Anurans. So <laughs> the lady Anuran is on the bottom and then the male anurin is on top kind of piggybacking almost sure so their cloacas are next to each other Got it. and then in the common toad they lay this long double string of small black eggs that's like three thousand to six thousand eggs and this gelatinous egg string can be like 10 to 15 feet in length and so as she's depositing this gelatinous egg string he just kind of <laughs> hangs out in the amplexus pose and fertilizes the eggs as they come so it's like it's like a factory i'm just imagining you know if you ever watched like those old mr rogers videos of like when like candy bars would be made and so you've got these like nougat logs like flowing through and then all of a sudden they hit the like wave of chocolate is that what's happening here i think that's pretty Pretty much, yeah. That's pretty. That's a pretty good analogy. Meredith. They get like covered in that wave of chocolate as yes. they're coming out. So the wave of chocolate is the <laughs> frog or toad sperm. Yes, and then the nougat or whatever is this sort of gelatinous egg string. Yes. After about two to three weeks, the tadpoles hatch. They feed on the jelly of their eggs first, and will attach the underside of water weeds, then become Aww. free swimming. After about 12 weeks, they turn into these cute little mini toads that are about a half inch long, and they leave the pond. They mature after three to seven years, and the process starts all over again. And then my fun frog facts, I have two. Because of roadkill incidents, some quote-unquote toad patrols of local (laughs) wildlife groups helping the toads cross the road, literally grabbing the toad and carrying it to the other side of the road and putting it down. But they've oh. also started making wildlife bridges, you know, so toads. I love wildlife bridges. And other and things can so cross cool. underneath um, and not have to cross the actual traffic. And then the toad is associated with the devil. Uh-oh. And is on the devil's coat of arms because it could poison people and was a common witch's familiar. Oh. Yeah, the Middle Ages in Europe was weird. Thus concludes my common toad wild ride. I love that. God bless our toads. Let's take a break. Let's do it. Coming up on AFCAUM-TV, Animal Fan Club, Animals Underwater Television. It's Cave Hunters, where we help eager eel or eel-like couples find the underwater cave of their dreams. This week, we met Mort, Astrid, and Joey, 
three wolf eels looking for a cave as unconventional as they are. We're a wolf eel trio, so that's three eels, not just two. So we need a space that can accommodate our unique dynamic and our budget. Will Joey find the mid-century cave he desires? Or will Astrid get a kitchen big enough to crunch her crabs? And most importantly, can we do all of this and satisfy Mort's strict budget? Join us this week as we find a cave equipped for three times the love on Cave Hunters. Freeverse. Couplet. Stanza. Haiku. Here are some is called Our Tongues Go Long. What's that sound? It's the slurp slurp of the keratin king, carefully choosing which ant will tickle his insides today, on the greatest of days, world a pangolin day. But really, it's just another day when it's ants for breakfast, ants for lunch, and ants for dinner, if you're particularly lucky. But really, what if it's that day when you're bushmeat for breakfast, you're bushmeat for lunch, and you're shipped off to China to allegedly make someone's boob more juiceable? So let's not let another day pass us by without reciting the pangolin promise. Our tongues go long, our hearts open wide, in the same way we rip open the places where termites hide. All hail King Keratin. My antenna points skyward, even though I am underground. A new awareness like I've never known. As my compound eye focuses on other members of my colony, I realize that they are still under the spell of the so-called queen. Sure, her primary objective is the survival and expansion of the colony, but she cares not for the lives of her workers. Behold, the long tongue reappears. I watch as my fellow proletary ants become breakfast, as others before them have become lunch and dinner, consumed by our long-tunned keratin overlords. And lo, again, the so-called queen sits upon her dirt throne, caring not. She would care if only she knew of the guillotine. I lower my antenna. Back to work for now. The revolution begins at midnight. Do snakes write sonnets? Quails, quatrains? We hope you found solace in our refrains. Texana, you. Texana, we. Texana, who? Texana, me. Kingdom. Animalia. Creatures, creatures, rah, rah, rah. Phylum. Cordata. It's not a spine crime. Class. Abes. Sweet bird, you are. Order. Pelicaniforms. Big old water bird. Family. Balianopsidae. They're not storks. Genus. Balianipsis. I think he means 
whale head. Species. Phalaenopsis rex. Why so serious? It's a shoe bill. A shoe bill? Yeah. Shoe bills are hilarious. And I said, and I kind of referenced Zach earlier because the original meme he sent me was of a shoe bill. And then it had this weird, like, hilarious synth track to it. Ah, so your discussion about animals with synthesizers was sort of a... A forecasting. Mm, yes. Like and also shoe bills are great because they've been in my consciousness for a while because there was like a, I don't know if it was like a BuzzFeed or just some like set of pictures with words going around the internet, like talking about this crazy book and bird and all the funny things about this bird. So it's a super tall, can get up to five feet. It's pretty tall for a bird. That's a really tall bird. Yeah. And they have a very distinctive kind of like shoe-like, very hard bill that pretty much comprises the most, like the majority of their face. Wow. Which is crazy. They are the third longest bill behind pelicans and storks. This bill is bulbous. And like a pelican, it ends in like essentially like a sharp nail. So these creatures are super goofy looking. And I I don't really understand the shoe bill part. Like I don't know what shoe. I don't necessarily know how to describe how this looks like a shoe other than the fact that it kind of like rounds to a tip. And it kind of like, as it's connecting to the face, it kind of goes up a little bit, like around like where your ankle would go up a little bit. Okay. So I'll show you a picture. I'll post it on Instagram. But these are birds that look super prehistoric and super serious. That's fun. Those which are is two wh- fun qualities. Yeah. Which is why I said, why so serious? It's a shoe bill. But this other taxonomic stuff is so funny. Okay, so we go from class Aves. So pelicaniforms, so they're like big old water birds, and pelicaniforms, like obviously what's the what's the bird you hear in there? Pelican. Yes, correct. Big old water birds, pelicaniforms. With like big goofy beaks. Yeah, and pelicans have the goofiest beaks. They like they've got bucket beaks. They do. Like expandable bucket beaks. Yeah, it's like a beak slash pouch. Yes. Pouch beaks. Pouchy beak. So we've got these pelicans. So actually it was initially thought that these guys were in the stork order so not in pelicaniforms but siconiforms siconiforms which is where storks are but these guys are more closely related to pelicans than they are to storks despite the fact that they've got these big long beaks and really long legs like storks have and also they inhabit a very similar habitat to a stork these guys specifically to looks like kind of like central Central tropical Africa, so in freshwater swamps. Uh But these guys would have also been known to the Egyptians because they loved waiting around where papyrus was. Oh. Yeah, so they love like a great 90s New Age font. How do they feel about like a comic sans? (laughs) They're not into comic sans. They're lost. Exactly. Or, I don't know. We may be split on comic sans. House divided. (laughs) It's okay. Negative ding. So these guys are super goofy looking, and I will say they like they kind of they have this way of staring down their beak at you, and they're also known for standing very, very, very still for long periods of time. So it just looks like this long judgment of your outfit and or your shoes and of your just existence on like, this planet. Yeah, you're projecting a little bit, Meredith. What? I think you're projecting onto this bird. Oh, I thought you meant onto you. No. Because I was acting as this bird in that moment. No, I don't no. feel like you've ever okay, looked good. at me in the way that bird is. But I don't know. I think this bird is instead being like, oh, there's Meredith. She's a friend of 
the Ave Squad. Maybe, but I think really they're just looking down and like looking for fish in the water to oh. swim by so they can go like that with their beaks. Yeah. So the same way my teeth click, that's how their beak clicks. Is that a fact? Yes. Even with a beak pouch? No, they don't have a beak pouch. There's no beak pouch. Oh yeah. My so they're related to pelicans. You're not wrong in asking that. So they're very much related to pelicans in their order, but they don't have a beak pouch. Okay. They have no a very like hard pouch. They have like no pouch. No pouch, Meredith. Pouch free zone. Pouch free zone. They've just got a very hard beak. So it's a lot of. That's fun. When they clamp their beak pouch. Okay, so I feel like now I understand this lack of beak pouch. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, they're very much related to the pelicans. And often, also too, in their color, they're similar to pelicans that you'll see um, in that they're kind of this dark gray. Uh-huh. They've got this funny little, like, at the back of their head, it's almost just like a spike of feathers. It's almost like they've got this weird little, like, flat top of feathers at, like, the tip of their head. Yeah. Very cute. That is cute. They also have huge feet, huge feet. So I think, again, this is where they might have gotten confused with cranes, herons, other creatures like this that, you know, spend a long time standing in water and also will stand and stand and stand and wait for a fish to swim by, in which case they reach out and catch it. And they got they got to stand on something. So if they had like wobbly little talons that weren't substantial, like tripod talons, they would be done for. Sure. But they've got. Tripod talons. Yeah, there's real substantial talent. Yeah, life. Yeah, so they're ready to stand up for hours on end, That's unmoving. Great. Yeah, and it said that sixty percent of the chances they take in terms of like reaching out to grab a fish, they get it successful. Wow. Yeah. So because remember I mentioned that their beaks kind of terminate in this little like claw, essentially. Uh huh. Um, they're very powerful and they can catch pretty big fish. And I even read something about how they're big enough to like, like calves, like cow babies. Wow. They could even reach out and like get a little cow baby. That's amazing. Isn't that insane? Yeah. That's a vicious bird. It's a serious bird. Yeah, they are. I mean, just look one in the eye. It'll be like, that's a serious bird. Um, but something that's kind of cute about them is that when they're in flight, which they do fly, they have one of the slowest flap patterns oh. of all the birds. Whoa. At 150 flaps per minute. And I was like, that actually seems like really fast. That feels really fast. And that's one of the slowest. Isn't that crazy? It's like 150 is like. That seems so fast to me. Flap, 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 flap. That it's seems really fast, fast, and that's one of the slowest. It's a slow, flat pattern. That's really crazy. That blows my mind. Yeah, same. So in addition to that, these guys are what's called piscivorous. I know this word because this is my pal's fishing owl. Piscivorous? I think I said piscivorous. Oh, piscivorous. I pronounced oh, it. That makes so much more sense. Piscivorous. Piscivorous. Yeah, I like that. Isn't it fun? I had to look it up and go to the YouTube video where it's like, piscivorous. <laughs> They like fish. They like fish. Yeah, they don't. They eat fish to the exclusion of other things. They only eat fish. Yeah, well, unless you're like one of these really ambitious shoebills that's going to go after a baby cow. Crazy. Damn. So crazy. <laughs> and then flap real slow about it. They're not really into um, hanging out with others at all. So obviously two shoebills have to come together to make more shoebills. Right. But even then, unlike their stork, pelican, um, cormorant friends... They do not nest in colonies. Oh. They kind of make these like 
floating platforms upon which you can then build a nest because they kind of hang out in marshy areas. So they need something that floats. Sure. So they make these platforms, one of which I read could like, like hold up a human man. Whoa. It's pretty strong, just made from like brush in the swampy areas. And then they nest on top of that platform. Marsh birds, right? Yeah, these guys sound pretty serious. Yeah, Um, except they don't vocalize much. They do display bill clattering in their nests, so that. Okay. But sometimes they will also utter cow-like moos. Maybe that's why they got confused and ate the baby cow. Yeah, like, my lover? Chomp, chomp, chomp. So, yeah, I mean, that's a very basic rundown of the shoe bill. Let me um, see if I can just show you a picture real quick. Where did you say the habitat of the shoe bill was, Meredith? Uh, these guys hang out in central tropical Africa. So, like, Congo. Yep. I don't remember any from the film Congo. They might not have been in there. Mm. Remember the Beanie Baby Congo? He was a gorilla. <laughs> I don't. But Beanie Babies are back now. I don't know if you've noticed. They're in the stores. You can buy lots of Beanie Baby things. Wait, really? Mm-hmm. Like the original kind? Well, like Ty's brand is back, I should say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen Ty stuff. That was such a crazy time when people were like, no, we're collecting Beanie Babies and this one's going to be worth $10,000. I know. And we were all kind of like on board with it. That was such a crazy time. <laughs> That's Boon Bill is saying, yeah, this is a really happy looking spoonbill. Let me find a serious. Yeah, that's. Do you want to be on the other side of that stare? No, it's also the way the beak <laughs> kind of curls up to the eye that it makes it seem condescending, you know? A little bit. Yeah, I told you the majority of this face is beak. Oh, the silent stillness of a shoebill's stare is what this is called. This picture I'm about to show Mike. Yeah, there's a lot of silent stillness in that <laughs> stare. It's intense. The shoe does kind of look like a men's leather loafer, sort of, like a wingtip almost. Yeah, I guess I can see it from the side. I see it as a shoe. Mm-hmm. But what a goofy bird. It's a goofy bird. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> on that note. Yeah, thanks for that information, Meredith. <laughs> oh, God. The spoonbill pictures are really fun. That one's definitely going, hey! Oh, and this one's saying, Fuck you, mother fascist fucker. Yeah. That bird is definitely, like, ready to kill you or, you know, make love to you. <laughs> One of the two. Oh, Hey, shoe bills. Well, let's take a break. Yeah. Hey, Wilton. Don't you just love eating pork? I sure do, Kelvin. It's delicious. I agree, Wilton. Did you know it's important to heat pork to 160 degrees Fahrenheit to kill Trichinella spiralis, the nematode that causes trichinosis? I didn't. Is there an ethical conundrum here? Killing nematodes to eat pork? I mean, you've already killed a pig. What's with a few more nematodes? And besides, these nematodes are parasites that can cause illness in us humans. This is an ethics minefield. How do I ensure the pork is the correct temperature? I feel like my own senses are inaccurate. Well, then you need Spirella Stopper, the brand clubby meat thermometer. It's a surefire way to check the temperature of your delicious pork treat as it's cooking. 
Wow, brand clubby just anticipates so many needs, but I'm still stuck on the ethics of this. Well, listen, Aristotle, you can debate that all day. I'm just here to tell you about this exciting opportunity to avoid parasitic infestations in your own body. Well, I guess that's nice of you. For the record, I identify more as a Play-Doh. Noted. Oats? Darkness? It must be the feed bag. Oh, made it again. Tabitha from Bismarck, North Dakota, asks, Is it true that all Dalmatians have 101 spots? Well, Tabitha, um, I don't know. I've never heard that. Is that a thing? I think Tabitha might be combining the 101 Dalmatians with there being 101 spots on a Dalmatian. I see. I think what we might have here is a sort of mistaken combination of two things that are not necessarily related. Right, right. I'm sure a Dalmatian spots vary from Dalmatian to Dalmatian. I feel like there must be Dalmatians with as few as five spots. Sure. And there must be Dalmatians with over a hundred. Yeah. So I think that it is not true that all Dalmatians have 101 spots. And you know what, Tabitha? I think I'd go a step further and say that the person that's trying to convince you that that is the truth is probably also telling you some other things that may not be fully honest. Right. Like, girl, you absolutely do have the right to wear that tank top. And a teal short is always a good choice. Always. Tabitha, you do you, no matter what he tells you. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. ding, ding. Skip from Tennessee wants to know, if you could have any exotic animal as a pet, which animal would you choose? Well, Skip, I'm going to take the wind right out of your sails because the answer is, for me, I'm not going to speak for Mike, but I have made it well known on Animal Fan Club that I do not endorse the exotic pet trade. I would say no pet from the exotic pet realm what i have as a pet yeah i'm with meredith on this animal fan club has been pretty clear on our condemnation of the exotic pet trade and the illegal pet trade uh and frequently the two are the same and yes. we've taken a stance against this so no exotic pets to answer your question I think that maybe a lighter way of addressing this is to consider what type of unusual pet would we be interested in having. And I think about as out of the box as I'm going to get is maybe some sort of small rodent, like a hamster or a gerbil or something. Yeah, I would say maybe some sort of... Yeah, I don't know, maybe a rat. I feel like a pet rat would be probably pretty pet fun. Rat. Yeah, that would probably be pretty cool. Yeah, because they're smart. They live a little bit. Yeah. They're small. Yeah, they like pizza. They like pizza. I'd feed my rat pizza. If that was okay with, you know, what it should be eating. Yeah, I would definitely talk to a rat dietitian. Right, but I guess we could say, in all honesty, rats in the wild do eat pizza. So... Who knows? Right in with your rat suggestions. Ding, 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 ding. ding, ding, ding. ding. Clarissa from Reno 
asks, which amphibian do you feel most like today? Oh, that's a great, great question. Yeah, Clarissa. Uh, I mean, I'm willing to just kind of jump right into it because I feel like a salamander today. Okay. And I woke up this morning and I would just kind of felt like a salamander and then going throughout my day just in terms of like my hydration need you know my court my general sliminess and my interest in small insects and wet places I guess I don't know <laughs> I've just been feeling a lot of salamander energy okay amphibian I'm feeling like a perky little tadpole I think Ooh. Yeah, I mean, it was like a, it was a good weekend. I like, I just really chose to sleep in hard today. I'm making impetuous decisions like a youngster would. Sure. But also tempered by productivity and getting my shit done and feeling like life is okay. Like a little young tadpole full of potential. Great. Yeah. That's, well, the official position is that I feel like a salamander. And I feel like a tadpole. Ding, 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 ding. 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 Please keep the questions coming. We love them. Animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Animal Fan Club is created and produced by us, Meredith Jurgens and Mike Luno. We also create all our original music and sonic experiences. Send us your listener feedback questions to animalfanclubpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at animalfanclubpod, at Meredith Jurgens and at Mike underscore Luno. And don't forget to rate and review our podcast on your favorite app. That really helps us out. Thanks for listening to our show. We hope it makes your heart and spirit glow. We'll be here next week for another meeting of...